Confluence Radio is a production of Confluence, a community-supported nonprofit that connects people to the history, living cultures, and ecology of the Columbia River system. Find us at confluenceproject.org. The people who tried to drive us away never understood what they were dealing with. We had the power of our ancestors. We could hear their call, and we called them often. Hello, and welcome to Confluence, Indigenous Voices of the Columbia River System. I'm Colin Fogarty, Executive Director of Confluence. In this episode, we're going back into the Confluence Digital Library to hear an interview with Tana Angdahl. The Confluence Library is a collection of articles, podcasts, image galleries, and interviews. We've recorded dozens of discussions with tribal leaders and elders from the Northwest to preserve and share their stories and perspectives. You can explore the library at confluenceproject.org. Tana Engdahl is the spiritual leader for the Cowlitz Indian Tribe, located in Southwest Washington State. She's also an associate supervisor of the Clark Conservation District and a board member with the Friends of the Ridgefield National Wildlife Refuge. Her career started in the 1960s as one of the first Native American television journalists. She worked in local TV news in Seattle. Tana went on to work with the Bureau of Indian Affairs and as public affairs chief for both the National Park Service and the Bureau of Land Management. She is the founder of the Cowlitz Medicine Women. Here's Tana introducing herself in her own words. I'm Tana Ingdahl. I'm spiritual leader of the Cowlitz tribe. More than that, I am the granddaughter of Mary Plamondon. I never forget that. It's one of the reasons that I can stand tall and proud, because I am from a line of people that in spite of the tremendous, tremendous abuse that they received, they were still strong, still proud. Cowlitz tribe of people are made up of several strongholds, the Upper Cowlitz, Lower Cowlitz, the Lewis River Cowlitz, the Kualhioqua, or the Willapaw Hills Cowlitz. All these different divisions had their own little uh, sequences in which they practiced their own geological and spiritual commemoration of spirit. The Cowlitz people in the whole were a tremendously spiritual people. We were in a creation of such magnificence that our connection to the land through the Creator and because of the Creator was so profound and so deep that it's the soul level of the Cowlitz people was the soul level of creation. At a time when we were compelled to leave this land, we wouldn't. We had the mountains, the streams, the prairies, the mists, the rivers, the rain, everything that 
is a life force on this planet. We had everything here. And of course we wouldn't leave. Not one of our chiefs or sub-chiefs wanted to leave, and not one would sign a treaty that would take us away from this land. We were asked to go over to the coast among people that we were not friendly with in a place that was not our place. Our place was here, and so we wouldn't leave. We would suffer all the consequences of hell if we had to, but we wouldn't leave. My own thought is, how could we leave? This is where our ancestors are buried. And this is where we wanted to be buried. We wanted to live here, but we also wanted to die here. And we didn't want our people to leave us. So our tremendous spirit is here. (laughs) That's one of the things I think no one really ever understood about we cowlets. Not the people who were trying to force us to leave. Not the people who came here later and took our lands and drove us off the rivers. Not the people who continued to fight us when we had to come back and coalesce to form a a, a core group to fight for what became recognition, a reservation, a land base. And all those people that fought us, what they didn't understand was the power of our Tamanawas. Our Tamanawas, for each individual cowlitz, is his spirit connection, his understanding of the soul level and the connection to the Creator. But we had a tribal Tamanawas, so strong and so powerful, because it was partially made up of our creation, our relationship to the Creator, and our ancestors. The people who tried to drive us away never understood what they were dealing with. We had the power of our ancestors. We could hear their call, and we called them often. We don't have a ceremony that we don't call upon the ancestors to join us. We don't have a prayer that we don't call upon the grandmothers and the grandparents who gave us that kind of power to stay and withstand all the furies and the miseries that were brought into our world. You're listening to Confluence, Indigenous Voices of the Columbia River, When Tana Engdahl was growing up, she and her family experienced discrimination, but her grandmother gave her the strength to withstand it. As a child, I grew up with this, the power of a grandmother who was totally cowlitz. And because of her upbringing, she was also Catholic, because that was the first people that came that brought that Christian understanding into our world. 
And being a spiritual people, it was easy to envelop that. The Catholics didn't envelop us as much as we enveloped them. My grandmother made it all work so well that the priests came to her to visit, to talk. She would go to Mass. But they would also stop by, and they would hear her confession. And I was allowed to sit at her feet. And she would tell stories. Just amazing stories. And the police would forgive her and bless her and go away. And I asked my grandma, you didn't do those things. Why did you say that? And she'd say, well, he came so far. And he, you know, we had to send him away with something. So she sent him away feeling good that he had forgiven her for the things she never did. She grew up in a time that was very unkind to Cowlitz people. We were at a time when, when we were, it was difficult to fish, it was difficult to hunt. Um, so much of our lands were taken, and at a time there was so much denial. Um, we were denied entry into what became forests or, or what the state considered its own land base. So we had to struggle to live. Her sons went into logging. We had to, we had to adapt to live in this society. When I was quite young, um, we went to a restaurant in a town, and it must have been a, at a time that the Indians were not well-received. We went into a restaurant. I was quite young. And we were not seated. So my grandmother stood there. And other people came in, white people, and they were seated until all the tables and chairs and everything was full. My grandmother still stood there. Still strong. I was old enough to feel the embarrassment, to feel embarrassed somehow. I don't know how to put it in terms, but she took my hand, and her hand signal was, stop fidgeting, stand still. And I stood there beside my grandmother, and the room became so uncomfortable for the diners that they couldn't continue eating. They just put down their their forks and just kind of stared at their plates. They didn't know what to do because she was still standing there. And when there was total silence, she said to me, Tana, feel sorry for these people. They are not cowlets. In my small brain, growing brain, I realized I was Cowlitz. 
And from that time to even as I sit here now, I knew I had the strength of a people that could say that. I am Cowlitz, and other people are not. I had all the power I needed to get through my life, which was difficult. And there were times when I had to call back on that memory and remember I could get through anything because I was Cowlitz. As I grew up, I wasn't always with my grandmother, and so that's the difficulty of the times that I, that I grew up in. But the times that I were with, was with her shaped me to almost become her. And, and the tremendous feeling I have of her understanding of the spirit world, which we just talked about in that Tamanawas, and how we couldn't leave our people. But she would tell the stories of prior when things were a little bit easier, uh, when there wasn't so much meanness toward our people. We had villages up and down just about all of the, the river systems along any, even the Columbia. And in those villages, it was a self-sustaining village. And again, we had to, we did our ceremonies in that particular village and we did our, our harvesting and our gathering and so forth. But we also, besides what we needed, if we didn't have what was needed, we traded for it. So we, uh, we understood basically what the upriver tribes wanted. They were plateau people. They were in a drier country. And so they didn't have our resources. Their lodging was different and their clothing was different. Their, their clothing required buckskin where we, we needed cedar. So we had all what we needed. We would harvest the things that would be needed upriver and maybe even downriver to the mouth of the, of the Columbia which all of our tributary rivers fed into. And we had an intrinsic knowledge of what was needed and what we could trade for. We probably wanted some things from the upriver tribe, and we would trade um, our marvelous pelts, beaver. Uh, We could fashion some of our huge elk, pieces into pieces that um, they would want upriver. We, we, you know, in salmon season, when the salmon runs, we're coming in strong in the spring, in the fall. All the people would go to the rivers. And that included the upriver people. They were salmon people. And we, we would harvest an amount. So we didn't need to go to, say, Celilo Falls for salmon because we had salmon in our backyard. But remember, our families had moved, and marriage patterns were such that we had 
families upriver. And we had families downriver. So when we went to visit, we brought gifts or things we could trade for. When my grandmother, we talked about, was a little girl, we'd come from our village um, around what is now the Toledo, Castle Rock area. And we would, she would come as a little toddler with her family by canoe to what is now called the Lewis River. She only knew that as our summer river. That's where we went. And then we went in our summer river. And we went up the river um, to visit relatives, probably at Chalachi Prairie. And also, that was a fabulous uh, camas uh, site, camas route. And we would probably trade some of our things we prepared during the winter and trade for the camas route. But we had a lot of that on our own prairies, too. It was just a way to get to see our family. At the end of the season, you know, we didn't go visit for an hour and then get in the car and go back to Olympia. We would come for months and stay with family and harvest what was there, help with the food production that was there. And then towards the end of the season, they might get in their canoe and go up the Columbia for rendezvous to visit our families upriver. And all along, you know, they had been working the rivers too and working the, the resources for the survival they needed in their climate and their topography. You're listening to Confluence, Indigenous Voices of the Columbia River System. We're talking with Elder Tana Engdahl, the Cowlitz Tribe's spiritual leader. Next, Tana explains the tribe's approach to land management. We were excellent managers, which was why this land was so appealing to the new people. It was great land. It had not run wild. It was not a jungle. Um, We had trails, we had passages, we had prairies, uh, prairies that we used for our needs, the the kind of roots and the berries and the tubers um, that were needed for our people to the right amount. Um, Other people saw huge development, you know, We've got to build it where we had landings, where we had our canoes come in. They saw that, well, this is where we'll build a port and we'll have bigger ships coming in and we'll have more commerce and we'll have more trading power. So they took everything, I think, that we understood how to do and magnified it maybe a million times into where they'd lost contact with the land, the resource. They build it up, the trading power, to almost be destructive. They nearly uh, drove a lot of our animals into extinction before finally waking up to conservation values. People do not understand the Indian understanding of care of the land they stood on and they built houses on and they lived on. 
and they raised their children on and their grandchildren's children. They did not understand that we were not passive. I mentioned the Creator gave us this and said, work with me. We did. We worked with the Creator. We helped manage lands that would be abundant. And we understood what caused that. So yes, we managed land. Um, we harvested, as I, as I mentioned, just to the right amount. And we took care of the land so that it did not build up into unmanageable strength. So we, we pushed back when needed. And we managed as we needed. We were not passive people. We were not people without knowledge. Now we have <clears throat> the sciences that tell us what we're supposed to do and when we're supposed to do it. And then we have some people who sue other people to stop that process. The Indian people were not like that. We understood how to take care of land. We didn't just study the earth or the ground we walked on. We had an amazing system of clouds and rain. And I think we understood every kind of water there was in our universe, whether it flowed on the ground or whether it came from the sky. We understood the whole horizon of water. If it was sleet, we knew that what, what that was going to do to the land. If it was snow, we knew what that was going to do. And we always had a way to deal with that as a life process. We understood if it was mist, and we understood the echo of mist. So we could um, still hunt, because we could understand the vibrational bounce, the bouncing that mist produces. So we understood every molecule as it came from the sky, and we knew how to live in it. We also knew that cloud cover was part of our schematic, but we also had many months where we didn't have cloud cover, and we were students of the sky. We studied stars. We studied the sun and its movement. We studied the moon. We understood tides and its relationship to the moon. We also knew there was a people further south that probably were more expert than us. We knew about them. They were, like I said, this continent was not static. We had visitors who came from the far, far south, probably South America. They might have been Aztecs. They might have been Mayan. They taught us a lot. We, we absorbed the power. We knew that there was a people down there that 
had tremendous power. But we understood how to get to the mountains and study from that altitude. We have a site, a sacred site. I won't say where it is. But there is remnants of our culture that was there, and we know it was there to study the sky movements. Um, We probably had, as part of our origin stories, things that related to the stars, to the sun and the moon and the movements there, and how that relationship affected the land. I wish I could have lived then. I would have, I would have been one of those people that studied the stars. And on, uh, on nights when I can, I try to get out there. But that's just part of the DNA. Back then, before we were interrupted, I think we had a vast knowledge. But it's not the kind of thing that we had in writing, because we didn't have... Our writing was our words handed down to our children. The people who tried to drive us away never understood who they were dealing with. Because underneath the ground all of us walk on, is our ancestors. I suppose there are religions that would claim that that's paganism, that's impossible. But look where we are. We are a people who believed in spirit so profoundly, and we believed in our ancestors so clearly that they couldn't kill us, they couldn't drive us away, and we have come back with so much vigor and power. And we still, we still thank the Creator and our ancestors. When we stop in the middle of the day and pray, We mean it. It's a gift to know the Creator to that depth. And one we've never stopped being thankful for. Ever. What gives us the power, I think, to keep going is who lies beneath us. For me, it's the face of my grandmother Clear back to Grandpa's Kniwa. I think of him as being so close to me. He's one of the greatest power chiefs in the early period of contact with this country, with these invaders, with these new people. I never, ever forget what my lineage is. And that's what my grandmother was saying in that restaurant where they wouldn't seat us. These people are not cowards. I am. I am.
You've been listening to Confluence, Indigenous Voices of the Columbia River. Thank you to Cowlitz elder and spiritual leader, Tana Engdahl, for sharing her words with us. To find out more about Confluence and our five completed art sites along the Columbia River system, check out our website, confluenceproject.org. And remember, Confluence is a community-supported nonprofit. We can only do this work because of the generous support from the friends of Confluence. And that's you. Join us today. Thanks for listening to Confluence. Confluence.